0: Welcome to episode two of the Wild Ontario podcast. We're talking to a real wood pirate out there, a guy named Adam Ruzzo. He was living the life in downtown Toronto and chose to move into the Ontario wilderness and just build an off-grid homestead from scratch, from the logs on the land. No big deal. So we're talking to how it, to him about how it happened, why it happened, how he did it. A big part of the conversation is how do you find land here in Ontario, how do you find your dream property? It's not as easy as you might think. A fascinating conversation. Uh, folks, please support us on Patreon. Uh, you can uh, do that at uh, patreon.com slash wildontario. Uh, you can support just at a low level, uh, a small monthly fee, our general content production. And for higher levels of support, we've got exclusive content over there that I make just for the Patreon page. So thanks everyone and enjoy the conversation with Adam Ruzzo. On the Wild Ontario Podcast, episode two. Dude, Adam Ruzzo, welcome to the Wild Ontario Podcast, my friend. Uh, this Thank Adam Ruzo is a Wild Ontario legend. Uh, this <laughs> is a guy who quit his very cool job in downtown Toronto and moved out to near Algonquin Park, bought 30 acres, built his own off-grid homestead by hand from the logs on the land, literally... You know, one of my heroes who's uh, inspired me to do what my life is leading towards right now. And uh, if you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, you got to listen to this conversation. And uh, Adam, dude, welcome, man. Where are you? Thank you. Hey, James. I am, if you can see behind me, I'm in superior country
1: at the moment. Uh, I pulled off. There's loads of campsites uh, along the North Shore. And this is one of them. I'm kind of like semi you know, it's cottage country a little bit, so there might be some people noise going on, but mostly it's just private here. There's the lake, the big lake, as they call it, a little ch- tiny section of it. And yeah, I'm uh, just past Sault Ste. Marie going west right now. So that is where I'm at. It's beautiful up here. I mean, you can't go wrong in Canada. Everywhere is beautiful, really, come to learn. <laughs> so this is one of the beautiful spots we have.
0: Absolutely, man, except for Hamilton, dude. Hamilton is not a beautiful <laughs> place, I must say. <laughs> And as all as all people know, people from Hamilton are evil people. Um, so uh, we'll we'll, def, we'll definitely keep it at that. Uh, but dude, the, the first question I've been asking everybody on the podcast is uh, it's a very serious question, very philosophical question. Um, if you had to be eaten alive, asshole first, by a predatory animal in Ontario, Adam Russo, which animal would you choose, and why? Oh, my God. (laughs) That's quite
1: the question there, James. Um, Let's see. I'd have to go with uh, a cougar, likely because they're more likely to attack from behind. And I just would like to know in my dying moments that they are still in Ontario and I die (laughs) happy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that, that's an awesome answer dude oh my god that's like uh you're a true conservationist as you're being suffocated to death by the fangs of a, of a mountain lion from behind you're have a smile on your face because you know mountain they're lion here. Back. <laughs> they're here and i'm dead. yeah <laughs> dude that's awesome man i i fucking love that i i dude People, literally, I started up Wild Ontario News because I I shared this story about cougars Mm. being back in Ontario, and um, I really didn't know about that. You know, apparently they've kind of been quote unquote back, you know, for 10 or 15 years. There's a bunch of people out there who believe. That they were they they never left right. Yeah. Um, but according to the mystery of Natural Resources, you know, kind of maybe fifteen years ago, they started to come back. And dude, that video got like four hundred thousand views on Instagram. It got seven hundred thousand views on uh, TikTok. I'm like, wait a minute, people actually care about this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm like, damn, people care about the. It's not just me and Adam Russo who, <laughs> right, who, who care about this stuff, man. So it's it's wild, but. um, Excellent answer, dude. So, dude, why don't you just tell people about your story, right? Undergrad and master's in music at University of Toronto. And, uh, you know, where did you grow up? Um, You you did your degree and then you ended up, you know, where you were working and how you got to building an off-grid homestead um, in Ontario. All righty. Yes.
1: So. I had a very conventional, well, I guess pretty conventional path, you could say. Whereas when I finish school, what you do next is you go to university and then you get a job like everybody else, and blah blah blah. So, I mean, I was always into music, and that's kind of a bit different off the bat. So, it kind of lends itself to having a different path, no matter what you do, unless you want to be like a high school teacher or whatever. And none of that really ever appealed to me. So, anyways, I went off to school, UFT, got my. Bachelor's, got my master's degree I was working in the city playing gigs at nice places like the Royal York Hotel and uh, fancy restaurants and stuff like that and basically um, you know my other big passion that was always kind of there was outdoor stuff and more than just the passion it was kind of like every time I went north kind of like I'm sure you feel too you realize like oh so this is like this is not the matrix anymore this is something totally different this is outside the matrix and it it's a completely it's a window into a completely different way of being that's outside of the game outside of society you're freer you can do what you want a bit more and like you can kind of be your own person a lot easier so all these things were kind of wrapped up in backcountry experiences and travel and so i was trying to meld the two and in the city it just wasn't working so uh basically when I was like 25, 26, I just left the city. I just left. I quit all my jobs. And uh, I said bye. And um, I've traveled up to the far north, well, semi-far north, up to Yellowknife and Whitehorse. And I worked at lodges up there. I did a primitive skills apprenticeship, which kind of got me you know, some real good hands-on experience I, and when I did that, it was in Ontario, actually, I went back to Ontario, did that. And that was like a seven or eight month long course. I lived in a bush shelter when I did that, like, and I learned flint napping and fire making and all that sort of stuff, all the all the old skills. And then after that, I bought some land up by Algonquin and built myself a log cabin and lived there for about five years. And this is all the short version by the way. Uh, Anyways, and then after that, so I just sold that about two years ago now and I've been out of my van, living out of my van more or less for two years and in the winters I'll rent a cabin somewhere. So this past winter I was in kind of northern Quebec and then before that I was out in Nova Scotia. Both times in like rural areas, cabin, wilderness sort of settings. So yeah, and right now I'm in the Sioux and most recently I've, uh, I got into working on expedition cruises so I've been up in the Arctic most of the summer. And I just got back, so I'm now in my van again, cruising around until the next cruise happens <laughs> out in Newfoundland. The next one's going to be. So that's been my life. It's uh, so I've been trying to, you know, meld this, uh, keeping my my feet kind of in the uh, modern world a little bit, and then also keeping very close to reality, which is you know the natural world and uh, more of a freer lifestyle as much as I possibly can. Um, so. That kind of gives you an idea, I hope, of of my story the last couple of years. Anyways, last ten years,
0: yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, me knowing Adam pretty well, uh, that is definitely the Coles Notes version of what has gone on. Uh, which, but that that's a that's a great intro, my friend. And you know, I'm wondering about the psyche of a young Adam Russo, still a young Adam Russo, but younger in downtown Toronto. You're a guitarist, you know, at the Fairmont Royal York, the most historic hotel in all of Canada. And uh, life is going well. Toronto, you know, so many as a young single guy, uh, lots of beautiful, high quality mates everywhere. And then all <laughs> of a sudden, you're like, I'm going to move into the wilderness. Like, what the uh, maybe can you <laughs> a little bit more on that, like, It sounds like Mm. you're going to move into the bush by yourself. Did you have companionship? Um, What was your thinking there? Like, how could you possibly leave, leave, you know, all the creature comforts of, of downtown Toronto?
1: Ah, well, okay. Let's see here. Um, So I was never really, really a typical city guy. You know, I've, I've met the types and, and they want nothing to do with camping and all that stuff, but I never really fit the bill for that. I grew up camping and going to a relative's cottage and stuff up, close to the water or swimming and, you know, sleeping in tents and all that stuff. So I had my feet dipped in when I was a kid. Uh, And my grandfather lived on a farm. My mom was raised on a farm. So we'd always go visit the farm and there was wood stoves and wood cutting and all that sort of stuff. So I was, you know, pretty well versed in it. Uh, But when did the switch happen? Let me just think here for a sec. Uh, The switch. So when did it really happen? Yeah, I think... um, yeah it was just like two different realities going on there was the school by the book in the box by the rules society sort of existence where it was like yeah you you're going to school and you're getting geared up to be a cog in the wheel sort of thing and then there's this totally other reality where i was going backcountry camping and the reality out there was like okay yeah you're an extension of nature, uh, you feel solitude, you get way more in touch with the uh, the, the muse, you know, that it's like a completely different reality. And so I was, when in my early 20s, I was kind of simultaneously doing both of these things. I'd go on backcountry trips and I'd go back to school or go back to my job and back and forth. And I was like, what is going on here? Uh, and eventually I got exhausted by uh, the working world, even though I was doing music and stuff, it's still you know, you're still doing the working world. It's it's more or less the same thing to a large degree, being a working kind of musician. Uh, and yeah, I kind of got exhausted by it, and I was like, I'm gonna try this other thing. Like, screw it, I'm just gonna go for it. And uh, that's sort of what happened. It was a gradual process. I didn't go from like Toronto one day, I'd go to sleep, and then the next day I go build a cabin. Like it was a gradual thing. I I went out. I traveled, I lived off the grid with all these different people. I did like workaway.com and uh, I checked out these different profiles and I went out to like the prairies, BC, the far North. And I lived off the grid with these people and learned the ropes. And then I did the apprenticeship program and then I bought the land. So, you know, it was like a gradual process. And I kind of like was figuring it out for myself the whole time along the way. Um, And I mean, even at still at that point, it was still pretty nerve wracking. Like you're never quite ready for it. Like it's a big, Decision obviously to go do something like that. But another part of the reason, this is a big one too, I should always mention, is that financially it was a better move too. Cause like building a cabin uh, with the trees on the land and buying the land in cash, which for me at the time was like $21,000 or something. And then I, I ended up paying more for the 30 acres I got a loan for that. But um, either way, it was still a lot cheaper because I had enough money for the materials and the land basically besides the loan. So Uh, my living expenses were really cheap. I didn't have a mortgage. And so I just didn't buy into the whole thing of like, oh, you got to have this massive mortgage and you're going to be a debt slave. Like I just saw through all that. Uh, Books helped. I read a lot of David Suzuki books in my early 20s, which really kind of opened my eyes to the reality of Canada and how big the nature is and the native people and how they've lived here and how they saw the world for a long time and all these things, all these things kind of got into my uh, psyche until the point where I basically acted on them. And I, I just didn't vibe with, with the world around me anymore And the city is just not happening. So.
0: Yeah. That's amazing, man. So it wasn't like a snap, and then you are like, I quit, like, fuck you, boss. And like, you <laughs> stormed off and you arrived into like the wilderness and you checked the MLS MLS listings on your phone and you're like, I'm gonna buy that land right over there. And right. uh it was it, that's interesting, man. I hadn't thought about that. You know, it was a bit of a gradual process for you and learning mm-hmm. skills and then you know, um actually living in the country, living in wilderness uh, before making that transition. That's really easy. I mean, that's really, uh, that's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things you've been a huge inspiration for my life, right. I've been sharing on my channel that, uh, you know, I bought this 40 acres, um, uh, uh, you know, here on Ontario and I want to move out there and do the off-grid homestead thing. Right. And I also want to get, you know, I, I'm now at the age where like, I want to get married. I want to have kids. And one of the things I I worry about, and I'm wondering if you also thought about this is, You know, most of the women, for example, that I know in Toronto, they're like, there's no way they would go. I know where this is
1: going. I know where this is going. (laughs) Okay. Okay. okay, Yeah. Keep going.
0: going. (laughs) There's no way that they would live on an off-grid homestead. So part of me is like, Jesus, man, if you want to get married and have kids going to live on an off-grid homestead, it might be the really cool, you know, guy, like geeky outdoors thing to do, but it's like, am I now narrowing down? you know, my potential mate choices by, by doing this. So was that a thought process for you? Like, Oh my God, am I going to be like a hermit living in the woods? Um, or, you know, what's going to happen? Did you go up there, you know, by yourself or, or like what, what was going on in terms of that whole thing? Oh dear. All right. So yes. Great question. <laughs> um,
1: so, Oh wow. So like basically, um, that land I bought, I had in mind to be there with somebody, but it didn't turn out to be that way. So I was dating somebody at the time and she loved the idea. Uh, you know, we weren't married or anything. It was like, we've been dating for about a year or something. And it was kind of in the back of my mind, okay, this could work out with the two of us and all this sort of thing. Uh, it turns out it didn't work out. And then I moved into the land alone because I had this land now and I'm just going to do this now. So I moved in in my tent. Uh, in in like was it march and uh and got to work cutting down some trees regardless other person there or not because here i am i'm doing this now i'm not just gonna like let this land sit there uh and then actually somebody else showed up into my life a few probably a few months into my whole experience there and they ended up staying for over a year probably a year and a bit um and helping out with the process but then it didn't actually work out with them either (laughs) so Uh, there was a few that came and went during the time and uh, yeah so I did have people there but in the end I left alone and uh, that's fine there are people out there that are into the whole off-grid life, uh, the country life, the rural life, raising kids out away from the city, they're out there they're harder to find though for sure, they're definitely harder to find and um, you're not gonna find the most likely in Toronto of all places though the odd one is actually in Toronto, but not in large numbers. <laughs> it's definitely not happening. um but for example, uh on like the last couple in the last couple months, I've met several ladies who live off the grid uh, and they're totally into the lifestyle. so there you go. they're around. Uh, you could say maybe quality over quantity, yeah. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, go. man. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think for for sure, especially when you're thinking about a life partner, it totally is, uh, you know, quality over quantity uh, for sure. And, you know, my hypothesis is this, is at first I was really worried about this, but the more I have explored the off-grid living community on the internet, the more I've realized is, man, there's actually a lot of people, male and female, even people, like you said, living in cities that are super interested in living in the country and living on a homestead and living on an off-grid homestead kind of, I would call it like trad lifestyle, like trad life, traditional lifestyle kind of stuff. And um, if I had to peg it on like percentages, I would say maybe, you know, 90% of both men and women would have no desire to do what you did or what I'm about to do at all, but 10% fucking love it. And the power of the internet is, is that especially if you're sharing your life uh, on the internet. You're going to attract people who are also attracted to the same kind of lifestyle. And actually, the internet, you know, it's a double edged sword in many regards, but in one good regard is that it can help you connect with other people that are attracted to exactly the same kind of lifestyle that you are. Right. Mm -hmm. And an interesting thing about what you said about, you know, quality versus quantity, if you go out there and build exactly your dream life and then try to attract a partner to that. I I would argue that's the optimal way of doing it as opposed to finding someone and their dream is very different than yours. And then you both kind of water your dreams down 50% and you kind of muddle through life, right? I mean- It seems to me that a lot of people end up doing that. And is that the best thing to do? Maybe not. So I, you know, I've seen what has happened with you and I, that's my hypothesis currently. I'll tell you in 10 years, if it's true or not. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, like you said, you've been meeting a bunch of, you know, women who are, who are out there doing this kind of lifestyle. So all you need is one good one. And uh, you might, I think there's another saying, right? It's like, don't chase butterflies. But build a garden, right? Ah, build the yes. garden, then the butterflies will come to you. And I think that's uh, that's a really interesting way of um, you know, of looking at it. Uh, yeah And you yeah. know dude, there's so many people that have this fantasy like my stepbrother and his wife, every night before bed there's two kind of videos they watch. The first is like bushcraft and camping videos. Right, like the Baird brothers and the Budnick brothers, and you know, the, those kind of guys. And yeah. then the other kind of videos they watch are like off grid homestead things like uh, Yona Yinton and Calais Floden, and one of our favorite guys, another wild Ontario legend, Sean James, right, of MySelf yeah. Alliance. Now, they live in downtown Toronto, extremely urbanized people. I don't think they have any plan of doing them this uh, themselves, but it's a dream. They watch it every night before bed. You wow. know what I mean? it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, but dude, you mentioned about finding your land. Let's talk for a second about how does one go about finding a property to, if you want to build your own homestead, how did you find it? And like, what are your learnings of that whole process? Like if you had to do it again, what method would you use to find land to build a homestead? Uh-huh.
1: Okay. Good question. Yeah. um, So finding land. It's a big topic because like when I first did it, I'm also in a way, I'm glad I didn't know anything when I first bought land because it just forced me to buy something and then just figure it out. Uh, But there was a lot of things I didn't like about the land in the end. Um, So it's a big question. It depends on what you want, really, like it comes down to what you're looking for. Some people want to have a farm, like grow food. So that automatically you got to look at agriculturally where it's possible and best place to do that. Uh, another thing, the biggest one probably is your price point. I mean, you can't buy land, uh, you can't get a mortgage for raw land unless you have all kinds of fancy financial things in order. For most people, you have to have the cash in hand to buy the land. So if the piece of land is, you know, $200,000, well, here's your $200,000 cash sort of thing. It has That's how it works. Um, so, it, you know, it's price, it's what do you want to do with the land, and then it's uh, proximity to, to major centers. Do you want to be, like way out there or do you want to be you know 15 minutes to a town 15 minutes to a big town like there's all these factors uh but to speak of like um actually surviving and having a proper sustainable homestead for your survival needs uh some things you want to look for would be um southern exposure uh because that's where the sun is, up in the north. It's in the south of the sky. In the summertime, it really rises high and is kind of right above you, but it's usually always in the south. So south-facing slopes are your best friend for solar power or for growing food. Uh, and just for warming your house in general, like having a lot of sunlight on your actual building helps in the wintertime. So things like that. South-facing is always, like, great. Um, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, There's a good amount of, ideally, there's there's varied habitat on your piece of land. Uh, You know, if there's already a clear area that you don't have to clear the trees of to put a building, that's wonderful. You know, Um, so varied habitat helps. Like if there's some field and forest, that's always ideal. Um, If there's already existing roads, that is also amazing. Even if they're not graveled, if they're just cleared, that's so great. Because actually clearing a forest is so much work and money um if if you already have existing roadways uh and i'm talking like you know if you can get a vehicle on that's like great there are existing patches that are open like little meadows great plus forest uh plus forest that's already there great so varied habitat is really good um so those things are like and going with the roadways an entrance in is also like amazing to have because that's a lot of work uh, for example when i got my land there's no entrance way into the land I had to like, you know, buy a culvert, get a road put in there and stuff. And that was a lot of extra money and like, uh, just kind of a hassle. And, um, I couldn't park anywhere. Like when I first got there, I ended up parking at somebody else's place and I had to walk to my place and it was kind of annoying. Like, so an entrance in is like great. Um, so these kind of practical things are some starting points for you. Uh, and just another note too, like depending on where you are in the world, uh, hardwood trees or deciduous trees are better for burning wood, you know, uh, and they're better for uh, you know, certain, like just they're they're a better vibe in the woods because there's, you know, less risk of forest fire. Birds tend to favor them a bit more. It kind of makes for a nice, uh just a nicer feeling in there. The soil's usually better with those trees. Uh and if you're getting like all conifer trees, it's great too. They're great for building things. They've got great round logs. You can still burn them they're not as nice to burn um and the soil is usually more acidic in areas like that so those are just some basics right there i would suggest to people if they ask me
0: yeah those are excellent points dude especially the the south facing slope i remember i sent you a listing and you're like, yeah, dude, it looks really cool. But uh, it was like a 200-acre, you know, uh, property that I think was selling for 120 grand, but the seller was willing to finance, like mortgage back finance, half the value. So you only need to have 60 grand in cash. And uh, you're like, yeah, that's a really cool property, dude. Uh, big problem. It's uh, literally, it's a north-facing slope, the entire property. And you're like, dude, you're, you're going to have big problems with that. You pro- you might not remember this, but I was like, ah, Sage advice, bro. Sage advice. I was like, man, this is dream property, right? It was such a cool thing. Um, careful,
1: careful out there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you know, I think you brought up a very interesting point about oh. deciduous. Go ahead.
1: One more. Sorry. Uh, high and dry is another one too. You want to remember just that saying high and dry. Like, uh, there's a lot of people that try and sell land and it's just like swampy or North facing slopes. And they don't say that in the listing, right? They, they're counting on people who don't know what they're doing to, uh, pick it up but you don't want low-lying land you want higher higher is better so elevation is nice because there's less flooding issues and uh you know yeah that's really the main thing you you do and it's less buggy it's more breeze all these things really add up so just wanted to mention that yeah
0: excellent point man yeah i've got a horror story about swampiness but i'll (laughs) I'll tell you in a second i think i told you about this uh this pro this one property that i drove uh eight hours to see, to discover it was entirely swamp. Um, but, uh, yeah, the thing about deciduous and coniferous trees, you know, a lot of people think that all of Ontario kind of looks the same, especially people from Southern Ontario. They just imagine that from here up to moose factory on James Bay, it all kind of looks the same, right? There's some kind of, you know, there's oak trees and pine trees and, you know, all this stuff, but, no, baby, it's like the climate zones. So you know, the far south, Windsor to basically Hamilton's climate zone seven. Most of southern Ontario is kind of climate zone six. Then climate zone five, I would say, is kind of like you know the north part of uh you know maybe in and around Lake Simcoe. Um, you know, a band kind of to the east and the west. Uh, and, uh, the, the key thing to remember, I think is above that's climate zone four, which is most of central Ontario, including where maybe even where you are right now, you know, the, the North shore of Lake Huron over to Sault Ste. Marie. Um, but once you get into climate zone three, the hardwood trees disappear right? yeah, And yeah. if you are a person, I think such as yourself and myself who love hardwood trees for many different reasons, maybe because we're soft Southerners, as someone from Thunder <laughs> Bay would probably say, we don't need no hardwood trees, you Southern pussy, right? They would might say something <laughs> like that. Uh, but uh, if you like hardwoods, you're not going to find it pretty much like I would say starting in Wawa to the north. You really got to look at climactic zone maps of Ontario mm-hmm. To understand the key, I think inflection point in Ontario is climate zone four into three because three is really where the boreal forest starts, and that's where you have, you know, it's jack pine and poplar and spruce and birch, and there's no, there's no, there's no hardwoods, right? Like, uh, I, I think that's really critical for people to uh, to remember. Um, and, dude, talk to me about what websites were you using to, to search for land? And what did you use in your process versus like, how would you do it now in terms of like the, uh, real estate searching, uh, architecture out there?
1: Sure. Um, one last point on the land too, and I'll, I'll get to that question, uh, is, um, yeah. How much space do you need? Cause you know, there's this like special hundred acre uh thing that's burned in everybody's brains like because you know all the land was originally set up in 100 acre parcels all over the place uh and it's a nice number sure like 100 acres that sounds great but in my opinion you don't you don't need nearly that much uh uh even 30 acres for me was plenty like it's tons of land uh if you're in a land if if you're in an area with a lot of crown land that you can use at any time and if your land abuts that crown land uh five acres 10 acres that's so much land i mean in my opinion so I think people should actually walk the properties and get a feel for what a hundred acres actually feels like. It's massive. It's immense. Like, you'll never see the whole thing uh, on a regular basis, anyways. Like, so just want to put that out there. My number right now, I'm thinking like if I if I go through it again, probably ten. Ten to be great. Anything more is
0: a bonus. Uh anyways, um, forty is great. I know you got to that point, too, Adam. Before, to yeah. that point too, I remember at one point you mentioning to me. 25 acres if you want Ah. to be sustainably harvesting wood over time for both construction but also for firewood if that is your objective um, to also be able to harvest 100% of your wood needs from your own property. You said the key number there from your research was 25 acres, right? So where yeah. you're harvesting, the wood can naturally regenerate itself by the time you're harvesting more. Do you still think that that 25, and I understand what you said about the five to 10 acres is totally enough, especially if you've got crown land you know, for living, but in terms of that wood harvesting generation, regeneration number, do you still believe that that 25 acres is the the minimum sustainable size?
1: Yeah, I would say so. Uh,
0: absolutely. Um,
1: you know, if you have 25 acres of forest that's forested, you can indefinitely harvest if, and and you're, and you're heating a house, you know, that's insulated and all that stuff, like a, a modern house that's, that's insulated and you're, you're heating it with wood. Yeah. I think that's plenty of land, uh, to, to, uh, sustainably to use, you know, there's, it's amazing the forest is incredible and i mean like there's so many different ways to cut a tree here and there and let the whole thing thrive and uh yeah um i mean even on my in my case i had a smaller place it was like 650 square feet log cabin it was insulated and all that um i was i was cutting like maybe i forget the amount of wood maybe eight to 10 cords per year of wood most of it was softwood i know i was just saying hardwood's better to burn but i was burning a lot of softwood in there and uh yeah i i had i was always like overflowing i couldn't keep up with the amount of trees that had to be taken down on my 30-ish acres like it was just never ending and the stuff that fell naturally and it just like you know if you're doing a careful job 25 acres in my opinion is is plenty to, to use yeah
0: Quick break from the podcast, everybody. If you want to support us in the production of this content, go to patreon.com slash wildontario. For only five bucks a month, you can support us in our production of this content as well as get uh, exclusive content that I'm making just for our Patreon page. Check it out, patreon.com slash wildontario. Now back to the podcast. That's really Um, interesting, man, because I remember uh, posting a little bit, of you know, a few stories about my 40 acres that I purchased and so many people in the comments to your point about the hundred acre magic mark is like so many people is like, Oh, that's the dream, bro. Just, you know, me and my wife, we're going to find our hundred acres out in, you know, the Uh, country and and build our own homestead. You know, everyone's got that hundred acre mark in in their mind. And it's like, it's like people like, do you realize how big a hundred (laughs) acres is? Like, New That's rich. a lot of land, especially we're going to get into this in a second. I think about economics in terms of it's like a lot most vacant land you have you can't finance it, you're going to have to pay 100% cash for it. So 100 acres is a lot of land, you know, especially if you're buying that in central Ontario, you know, anywhere oh, south, yeah. of basically the French River, and North Bay and Sudbury, you know, but um yeah man that's that's really interesting uh uh what about the yeah 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 the 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 websites man what websites uh, yeah. were you using to do your land search what was reliable what wasted your time how would you do it now if you had to do it over again yeah so uh i used i know you use this one uh,
1: recreationland.net i'm pretty sure it's called uh that's the uh, mostly ontario i think it's all ontario off grid properties it's a great resource. Um, and then beyond that, that was my main one for like dreaming. And then I would look up like realtor, is it the realtor.ca app is good for finding land. Um, there's that one too, but really the best thing to do, like, so again, here's this massive gap in like realities. There's the looking at the listings and, um, Actually, oh, and I should mention Kijiji is is great too. Kijiji is awesome for finding little gems. Uh, So those are my my three for looking at land. Uh, Realtor.ca is super conventional. Everyone probably looks at land that way. But yeah, the big gap is like a lot of the times and I think you've experienced this too, when you go to small areas and you get to know the people, you hear about all these other ones that are for sale all of a sudden. Uh, And you hear about people that had all this land and Maybe they didn't even think about selling it until they met you, and they're like, "Oh, you're looking for land? Well, yeah, maybe I could sever you off something." Like, there's all kinds of stuff like that. So, the reality is very different on paper than when you're actually in a, a rural area or an area with loads of like hunting properties around. Uh, the best thing to do, really, if you're willing and uh, brave enough to go do it, is like just just go to a place you're interested in living and get talking to the locals, get to know the locals, and ask that way. Because then you'll hear about all kinds of other stuff. That's usually like a more reasonable price as well. So that's probably the best way to get a good deal on land, I would say.
0: Very interesting, man. Yeah, that's yeah. because that's that's what happened with me, right? Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I found out about this area. My stepbrother sent me this listing um in this area in central Ontario. And uh wow, I'm like, this is a really cool property. It was from recreationland.net. And, um, I'm like, this is really cool. And I went to drive up there to look at it and I didn't end up buying that property. Um, but I ended up, I'm like, I love this area. I met a bunch of the locals and, uh, I think about, uh, I guess six months later, I ended up buying a property that was just through word of mouth that, that was not even ever listed. Right. It's just one of the neighbors is like, Hey, this guy was wanting to sell his land. You know, he's moving back over to Europe and, uh, that's the property I ended up buying. So like you said, if you zero in on a cool spot, get to know the locals. You know, what I yeah. did is every time I ended up doing, so to this one area, I ended up going there, oh my God, four times. I did four trips up there. And each time I literally bought, brought 10 bags of coffee and 10 bags of oatmeal. And, you know, I think don't underestimate the power of a small um, unexpected gift when you're meeting new people, because listen, mm-hmm. a bag of organic oatmeal, a bag of organic coffee, it costs like, they're like 10 bucks each. And I literally gifted that to every neighbor. You know, I would just drive up a driveway and see if somebody was home. And some people told me, it's like, Hey, fuck off. You know? And then most people, 80% of people were like, Hey, who are you? It's like, you know, would love to talk to you. And, um, you give them that. And then all of a sudden that opens up doors and they're like, yo, this is a night, nice, you know, cause I think humans, track reciprocity very, very closely. And that's from, you know, our ancient hunter-gatherer times, right? Like if you give part of your deer meat to a person, you really track, like at the next time, if they get a deer and I don't, is this person giving me deer meat back? Because if they don't, I'm not going to share my hunt with this person in the future, right? So I think those kind of little gifts, if you're in an area, can make a huge difference because everybody eats oatmeal and and coffee pretty much, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. But uh, good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a warning about some of these rural land listings that you may have some interesting stories about. I know you have some interesting stories because you told <laughs> to me, man. So with this listing that I saw on recreationland.net, full disclosure, I still love the platform, but recreationland.net, apparently 90% of the transactions on that website. And there's other websites out there, right? Another one's called ontarioland.com. Um, is a similar one run out of Thunder Bay and it specializes in, um, you know, rural vacant land properties throughout Ontario, mainly in central and Northern Ontario. Um, but a lot of these properties, the buyers never see them before they buy it. 90%. That's what these realtors are claiming. And also the realtors themselves never actually see the properties because they're dealing with such a huge volume of properties spread everywhere across the province. They are reliant on the sellers of the property to provide the information about the property. So in this situation, this listing that my stepbrother sent to me, the pictures of the property were actually pictures of the adjacent property, not the property itself. So when I got there, dude, I was expecting this one beautiful meadow, lots of trees. And when I got out there into the property, I'm like, dude, the thing is a hundred percent flooded swamp like it had a very nice creek that flowed right through the middle of the 40 acres it was entirely flooded i walked all the four corners of it and also the access the seller had lied about the access there was no they, they said you know you could walk across the two neighbors land to the south and both the neighbors to the south were like who are you like get the fuck <laughs> out of here like you can't, wow. you can't walk across my land Right. Because um, I think to them also, like they want to preserve their privacy. They don't want someone buying this lot that's in behind them and then, you know, having to deal with a new neighbor and that kind of stuff. So I had to literally do this like three hour epic march in through the crown land of the north, which I was not expecting. And um, only to discover the entire thing is swamp. I'm like, I drove eight fucking hours <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to 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 look at a swamp. And I, I called the realtor and I was pissed off at him but you know i very quickly realized like listen these realtors don't look at the listings like it's not the realtors fault it's the seller's fault that uh because they don't have like dude ontario is fucking huge it's bigger than texas combined it's bigger than the country of france like these realtors don't have time to check out all these rural properties on these high volume rural land websites right so um i think whether it's mls or it's recreationland.net or ontarioland.com, you really got to check out the property yourself. Do not buy it sight unseen, despite the fact 90% of people are doing it. Um, And the other uh, piece of advice I would add on to that is sleep on your property overnight, which I think you might concur with this because in the country, you never know if there's a mine, if there's a sawmill, if the guy next door all of a sudden starts playing his banjo every night at 2 a.m., you just got to know because even if you're buying 100 acres, sound travels. You need oh, yeah. to know what's going on. You need to sleep overnight. And I did this on every property that I was serious about. I camped out overnight on the property or if I didn't have permission on the crown land nearby to ascertain what is the situation, right? So what do you expand on those you know, ideas and experiences? I remember a story you told me about getting up to a property maybe near thunder bay and there was literally a giant mine like down yeah. the road so expand expand on this uh man what do you need to look out for with rural land you know listings yeah.
1: yeah such a good point um i should also mention i'm having a typical off-grid issue come up here where my phone is dying so this might be my last couple points we'll have to do a part two
0: okay <laughs> uh,
1: but um yes noise is number one get away from the highways too late in the highways <clears throat> excuse me noise travels more through the trees uh in the winter it's bouncier uh like when it's not a fresh snowfall that is but like it, it's through the seasons it changes and it's loud out there you hear you can hear things more clearly especially when cars like in the city we're used to cars going like 40 and they don't make much noise but when cars go 80 or 100 they make a lot of noise and when they go up hills they rev up more like so you want to get away from highways if you can because you're out, if, if if you're seeking like true quiet um, in the woods, there's a lot of industry. There's uh, the, the noisiest ones are, yeah, sawmills, mines, and snowmobiles slash ATVs. If you're by a snowmobile or ATV trail, uh, you're gonna you're gonna hear that a lot, and they are way louder than cars. Both of those things, they're really annoying to be honest. Uh, so if you're again, if you're looking for true peace and quiet, you want to avoid like major recreational trails because people out in the country they're gonna use them uh, and they're gonna bring all their stuff out there all times of the year so there's that um i my place was near a sawmill at the crack of dawn this is a big mistake part of the reason i didn't like my land in the end uh at the crack of dawn i heard the saw get started and the logs get cut and fall into like a big truck every morning like and if it was dewy you know how like sound travels on a lake if the air is more humid and it's foggy well all those water droplets act like a lake in the in the atmosphere and it's just like the sound is right there it's crazy and you know the sawmill was only a kilometer away so it's far enough on certain windy summer days but on other days it was like it was i could hear it so loudly um so yeah and then neighbors too out in the country everybody's got a chainsaw uh riding lawnmower tractor a couple of vehicles dogs so all these things are again really annoying and when people think of living out in the woods around the country they think oh the birds and wind and the waves but in reality if you have everybody uh you know even even people that are pretty spaced out along a you know dirt road or a two-lane highway you're going to hear everything going on so uh 100 acres which is a number we were throwing around before is great if you if it's one direction if it's a thin rectangle but if you've got like people and their hundred acre parcels and you're all like a hundred feet away from each other. And then across the road from each other and people are shooting their guns off for target practice. Like these are the kinds of things you're going to hear guns, dogs, ATVs, snowmobiles, industry, uh, highways, like riding lawnmowers. My, my biggest pet peeve are the riding lawnmowers. Cause that's the last thing you want to smell or is fresh cut grass. And the last thing you want to hear in the woods is somebody riding their lawnmower which is and their lawn is 30 acres large in size so you know all these things are issues in in the country when when you're talking about location and and sounds and all that stuff and then yeah you mentioned uh neighbors speaking of the neighbor issues one piece of land i looked at in cape breton a little while ago uh what was the neighbor had aggressively spray painted all kinds of you know property markers on the land i was looking at so there was a massive neighbor conflict there with who owns what and so i obviously stayed away from that i was just kind of browsing around at the time this is like two years ago now but uh yeah you want to look out for like property lines another thing to ask for while we're talking about it oops sorry if i got cut off there there we go um another thing to look out for is like survey markers this is a big one is your land surveyed I should have mentioned this earlier because if it's not, there might be some property line conflicts because what your neighbor says might be different from what the listing says. And usually your neighbor wins. That's just how it works. Um, so there's that. And also to get your land surveyed is expensive. It's like I heard one number. I'm not sure how accurate this is now. But per line, it's like seven or $8,000 to do like one line of your property. with Some guy with the chainsaw and a GPS and property stakes and all that stuff.
0: So my, you to do th- my mother just did our family cottage and it was yeah. $5,000 for, for the whole thing. And the acreage, okay. I believe on the family cottage is 20 acres. Um, okay. So that, that is the most recent number, um, that I heard, but it also may depend on your geographic location, right? The more remote you are, if the more travel time that could, yeah. that could affect that too. Right. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. You're right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's all that stuff is important to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, But, uh, good to know. Yeah. It's expensive. It's not cheap. So if you haven't already surveyed, that's like a huge bonus. And when you're walking the land, look for the markers, look for the old survey markers. They're super important. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Man, that's really sage advice. You know, I can't overstate the importance of having a good GPS, uh, software that has the data for private land and crown land parcels in Ontario. When you're looking for rural land, I had this app called hunt stand and, um, there's another app called OnX Hunt. These are two hunting apps primarily, but anybody can use them because they've got great, I think there's other like ArcGIS is another one that real estate agents use, but you can see all the private property and crown land uh, lines in the entire province and you can also see your position on them it's like google maps with an overlay of where the private property lines are so when you're looking at a property you can literally see exactly where you are compared to the government data on where the boundaries uh, are now there firm. might be little discrepancies in terms of if you have a you know a professional engineering term come uh, team come out and do a survey on your property but directionally i think that the government because they get all this data from the government right the government data is going to be 95% directionally correct. Would I rely on that when I'm building a driveway into my new place? Um, uh, you know, just by eyeballing this little GPS program on my phone and you're near a border with a neighbor? No, I wouldn't, right? I would want to have right. that survey done because you don't want Jimmy next door hunt you down right. with a shotgun because your driveway is percent <laughs> on his property, right? Because that could cause a lot of problems, but uh, in terms of at least scouting properties, I cannot state enough the importance of having an app like that. I think Hunt Stand is thirty nine dollars. Um, I have to be careful when I say Hunt Stand really quick because for some reason I sometimes say it with a C, and uh, <laughs> and it sounds like cunt stand, and I'm like Jesus. So I have to be very careful when I'm like Hunt Stand because it can sound like cunt stand, right? Um, but anyways, I think on Onyx, Onyx Hunt is a similar price. Cause did you have a software like that when you were, when you were scouting? No, no. I just
1: looked for property markers once I was clued into it. Uh, and I- luckily I, I found them, but I did have some other, uh, I think I was using Ontario Crownland use policy Atlas to see the property lines. It has something similar on there. That's right. what I was using, but it was very rough, very rough.
0: Yeah because that's what I was using before, because these apps are not very old, right? I think these apps, are, in terms of their availability in Canada, I think they've only been around for about 12 or 16 months. Um, So they're kind of a newish thing. But like for people that are looking, oh my God, it, it's so helpful. It's so helpful to know, right? I remember looking at one property with this old timer, this 80-year-old guy who was a uh, retired forestry guy. And he was just kind of like, uh, well, I remember the property. He's like, it kind of starts here and then it's 10 yeah. steps to the right. And then it goes off on a, approximately a 45 degree angle. And it was like a 70 acre property. And I'm just like, dude, I'm sorry, but this is not really helpful. Uh, you know, like, cause I actually had the app in my hand and he's like, Oh, I don't trust that Google bullshit. He's like, I don't a bunch of shit. He's like, I remember starts here, 45 degree angle. I'm like, okay, man, you know, I uh, love <laughs> I'm like, it's your property, man. Like, all I I went along with it, but I was looking at my app, you know, while we were walking his property. Uh, Yeah, this is the
1: reality. This is the reality. Another reality is my phone is dying, and uh, I have no way to charge it because I'm using my headphones. This is a first-world problems. Let's just keep going, man,
0: until it's literally dead, and then I'll just sign off because this is a great first episode, just on like basically, you know, how do you find land? Because I think so many people are are, don't have any idea, right? Yeah it's, yeah, it's very different. And usually, you know, if
1: they're totally new to it, um, just email the listing agent and they'll just say, oh, yeah, just walk the property. You know, just just walk the property. That's the kind of the lingo they use, which means you just drive there and just walk it. If, if it's vacant and nobody's there, you can just go look at it whenever you want, basically.
0: Absolutely. And sleep
1: on it even. I, I don't know if that's allowed, but it's a good idea still. <laughs>
0: absolutely man i mean yeah like you know i remember talking to one landowner and i was like hey like can i sleep on the property overnight and it was a family selling the property right with like four brothers and sisters and they're Uh like yeah like one of our sisters is not cool with that from like a liability perspective and uh these are people who live in toronto and this property was like six hours from toronto dude it was a 40 it was a 20 acre property i fucking slept on it anyways right? I'm like, <laughs> Fair really, you know, are you going to end up in a, in a, you know, a Soviet gulag for doing that? I don't think so. Uh, you know, p- play it by ear, but it's really important to scope it out, you know, overnight. Right. Yeah. Um, for sure. This is reminding me too. There's a
1: great app. It's like Airbnb, but for just vacant land or like camping, it's called hip camp. I don't mm. know if you've heard of this, but, uh, it's a, it's one way to actually get around and like just get a feel for different areas. Like if you, uh, if there's a property in an area you're thinking about on hip camp, it's like, sometimes it's as cheap as like 15, 20 bucks to just camp there for a night. Uh, and it's worth doing, you know, just to get a feel for the area for, you know, there's just another option you can take if you, if you're thinking about all this stuff. Worth yeah, mentioning. Hip camp.
0: Yeah. Hip, hip camp.
1: camp. Yeah. It's cool. I've used it before. Been on the road in my van. And I don't, don't know an area and I got to find a spot and there's no places around. Going hip camp. It's like 20 bucks. You pull into somebody's vacant property and it's big fire pit there places to the camp everywhere. It's like three acres big to yourself, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Really? Okay. That's another interesting, uh, tool there, man. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, what do you think about, um, about financing? Because this is one of the things I learned from you is that, you know, it makes a big difference to people in terms of affordability, the realization that, most crown land in Canada, and this is very different than the United States, most crown land, sorry, most, uh, you know, rural vacant land where there's no structure on it, you have to pay a hundred percent in cash. The banks, the big banks will not finance it, right? Um, right. I, so my land, I had to buy in cash, hundred mm-hmm. percent cash. It really limits, you know, what you can afford. Um, and, uh, you know, there, I ran into a fellow recently who's got hundred acres near Bancroft. And he was able to find a small, uh, rural-focused private lender who lent him, I believe he put 50% cash down, he got 50% financing, but I think his rate was like double prime. So the rates aren't great out there. Yeah. They're going to charge you a lot of money. I think it still makes sense, you know, and with rural land in uh, in Ontario, to pay cash if you can. But yeah. uh, you were also in a in a unique situation because correct me if I'm wrong. You bought like one acre in cash first, and then you bought the additional thirty or twenty nine acres beside, and you were able to get a line of credit based on your salary that you were earning in Toronto. Is that correct? Or your overall just financial health, I believe, which may be a tool for some people who are like, you know, if you, if you're employed by a big company, you can get a line of credit based on your income, but maybe speak a little bit to that, you know, like the, the, the financing situation in, in Ontario for rural land. Yes.
1: Yeah, so basically everything you said is like hundred percent bang on. Uh, yeah, the best way to do it is through a private lender. Uh, that's really the the best option that was that's exactly what i did actually i found somebody who was willing to loan at a higher rate so that's the the route i went i put i think i put like yeah around 50% down or like something like that on the on the rest of the land that i bought and they yeah they gave it to me at a higher rate so it was more interest but because it was such low numbers it wasn't a huge deal in the end you know to to do that so yeah. But uh, you mentioned if there's if there's no structure, you have to pay cash. But even if there is a structure, like if there's a shed or if there's an off-grid cabin that's not attached to the grid, that's considered vacant land still by the bank standards. Even if there's a beautiful place there that's not attached to the grid and it doesn't have a septic, say it's a composting toilet or an outhouse, no, that doesn't count either.
0: So uh, <laughs> it think, has to yeah. be like- I, I was under the impression that the guy that bought your 30 acres, uh, you know, your property and your cabin from you, because you built this beautiful, we are, we're, we probably wouldn't be able to get into it on this episode, this beautiful cabin, 10 by 22 feet, I believe with like additions onto it. You know, there was a half story on a loft on top. You have fully, you know, electric, uh, solar power, all that kind of stuff. Wait, so how did the guy buy it with fine? I was under the impression he got like a loan from one of the big banks, To buy that or is that not correct no I'm pretty sure he paid uh yeah well he actually yeah he did he I got cash
1: for it yeah um quite sure that was the situation with him Uh, I was waiting for that you know unicorn type buyer because I uh, I had to sell it and say in the listing like you can't get a mortgage for this place this has to be a cash sale and a lot of people were super interested and then once they saw that they're like oh never mind and then from all those people, there was probably like five viewings of, of the cabin and the property. And then in the end, one was able to do it with cash and uh, I ended up selling it. So that's how that worked. But it took a while. And um, yeah, it, it, it's harder, to, obviously, because people don't have loads of cash lying around. Usually they, they finance everything. So um, that's how it worked, though. Yep.
0: Yeah. Cause I think this changes the, uh, people just assume you could, cause in the States, I literally have a friend who's looking at buying land in Kentucky and in Kentucky, oh, yeah. you can buy rural land with no structure on it for th- starting at 3% cash down, which totally changes oh, the calculus in terms of what you can do in terms of actualizing your dreams. Right. So Kentucky off grid. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Kentucky off grid to, you know, Copperhead road, uh, you know, let's, uh, <laughs> Let's let's <laughs> brew some bourbon and uh, grow marijuana off grid in Kentucky, <laughs> baby. Um, but uh, it makes AFC. a huge difference in what you can do here, you know, in uh, in in Ontario. Um, yeah. Wow, man, that's that's super interesting uh, to, Yeah, to know about the financing situation. Let's talk for a second about uh, 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 flood, flood plains and swamps, um, because I found a property that I loved. It was 25 acres. Um, it was, uh, landlocked, but the neighbor to the South of the property was willing to split me off essentially like call out a quarter acre so that I could build a driveway in from the road to the property and then have access to it. And it was this really unique situation where the seller was not really interested in trying to unlock his own land. So I was able to buy it for like $500 an acre, which is ridiculous. And If I was able to buy this land from the guy to the south, he would be willing to, I think he was willing to sell it to me for like a thousand bucks, which is nuts because as soon as I was able to connect that land to the road, this land that I was essentially buying for like $12,000 would, if you looked at the the similar listings in the area, a 20 acre property like that connected to the road would easily be worth a hundred thousand dollars. So I thought like, look at me, budding, you know, real estate baron right here. I'm going to turn, you know, 15 grand into a hundred thousand dollars, like a snap <laughs> of a finger. And then yeah. after working with the local township um, a, a bunch of back and forth over like three months. And they're like, listen to our knowledge, that entire property is in a floodplain. And in, in, in reality, they didn't have any accurate data on that area. It was just like an eyeball guess from the planner. And they're like, we are not allowing you to sever the land. You can't sever a lot that is in a floodplain mm. for whatever reason. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, like, cause the, the land was, so part of the land was flooded, but the other part, there was like, I'd say a 10 foot embankment up to the high and dry portion of it. And the rest was high and dry, but I'm like, it couldn't go through. I couldn't sever the land and buy that land, that property because it was technically in a floodplain. So Mm -hmm. in Ontario, whether you're unorganized or organized township, when you're severing lots to try to, you know, even like you meet someone and they're willing to sever their lot for you, or you're severing a lot to try to gain access to something that might be difficult access because you have to go through Crown land to get to it, or it's completely landlocked like this parcel, you have to be aware of the zoning issues around this kind of stuff, right? which is really interesting. Maybe you could maybe expand on that idea and then also maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what's the difference between, why do people need to be concerned about organized versus unorganized townships when looking right. for rural land in Ontario? Right, right. Uh, so floodplains, uh, don't have a ton of experience with
1: floodplains proper. Um, the only thing I can say is one property I've looked at in the past had a
0: And we have lost Mr. Adam Rousseau. Oh my God. He is, I think he may have been taken out by a uh, mountain lion, ladies and gentlemen, but that was his wish, right? He wanted to get taken out by a mountain lion. It is uh, proving that conservation is working here in Ontario. So um, I guess I'll just f- finish off this story. We're going to have to have Adam on again, but finish off this story about, uh, you know, searching for a rural land in uh, Ontario. I'm trying to think of what else there is to be cognizant of um that financing piece was key uh working with your local township is key i guess the last part is organized versus unorganized townships i would say almost all of the townships south of the french river and lake nipissing in ontario are now organized adam was in a very unique situation where he bought his 30 acres uh not far from bancroft just south of algonquin park in an unorganized township, which means there's no mayor, there's no town council. um, There's basically no rules in an unorganized township other than the provincial building rules. There's some rules around, you know, how to build septic tanks, how to build an outhouse. You know, there's some basic things there, but there's basically no rules. So he could build his cabin without a building permit. And he did all the wiring himself. He, nothing had to be necessarily to owner a spec. Um, a lot of building permits in most, most organized townships can easily be five or $6,000 for the permit and then money on top of that per square foot. So it really changes the game. And some townships are more anal than others about how, you know, difficult they're going to be on giving you a permit to build a structure that you want. Um, and, uh, so a lot of people who are doing off-grid homesteads, like the one that Adam did, um, they look for unorganized townships. So in Adam's situation, he lucked out because literally as soon as he finished building his cabin, his township incorporated itself. It got a mayor, it got a township. Basically the population got to a level where it could become organized with the tax base they were able to afford, you know, an actual city, you know, a, uh, a township government structure. So he was lucky because he got his, he got his building in right before then. Otherwise If he had tried to build there and it was an organized township he would have needed a building permit he would have probably need to hire professional uh contractors and or plumbers and electricians to make sure that all the work that he was doing actually met the building codes so that's something really to keep in mind um once you start to get north of the french river and lake nipissing that's where there's big swaths of the province that are unorganized townships and um, a lot of those places are very sometimes there's even a premium now on properties that are in unorganized townships because the off-grid homestead community uh, will try to buy up land in that area. It's preferred. So my land that I bought, is in an unorganized township. I really like that. Uh, one of the famous locations that I found for un- unorganized townships um, was called nalalu which is essentially an area, and there's other t- there's other kind of uh, areas to it, parts to it, but the Naulalu area is just the southwest of the city of Thunder Bay. It's kind of between Thunder Bay and the U.S. border, and um, it's a big geographic area. It's almost all unorganized townships. Uh, the Woolly Steer Ranch, who I've uh, made a video about on uh, my Instagram and TikTok page, Wild Ontario, that's where their ranch is based. Uh, it's in the nalalu area. So I actually considered the Nolulu area. I've got two other friends who live on uh, off-grid homesteads there. I considered the Nolulu area heavily when thinking about uh, buying a... Uh, uh, a property for my off-grid homestead. I ended up choosing another location. I only say that it's basically, it's on the North shore of Lake Huron between Sudbury and Sault Ste. Marie. Um, it's in climate zone four. I didn't want to do Nolalu because Nolalu is climate zone three. So it's real boreal forest. There's no hardwoods there, right? I wanted to be in climate zone four, where the climate's a little bit more temperate. Um, and there's still hardwoods, there's still maple trees, there's still oak trees, you know, though. I really love those trees growing up in central and Southern Ontario. So, um, yeah, good luck. There, there's, there are some very rare unorganized townships still that are South of, you know, call it the French river or Sudbury North Bay, uh, areas. There are still a few, but there, they are not many. So uh, we'll leave it at that there, uh, ladies and gentlemen. This is a great resource for anybody considering uh, building a homestead, whether on-grid or off-grid. Anyone looking for rural property in the province of Ontario, thank you so much to Adam Russo. He's an amazing musician. He's an amazing folk musician. That's the whole other... That's arguably the most impressive thing about Adam is that he has a master's and an undergrad in music from University of Toronto. He was the lead guitarist at the... um, uh, hotel band at the Royal York hotel in downtown Toronto, which is right across from union station, the most legendary and old hotel in the entire country. He's an amazing musician. He just has a new album out. Check him out on YouTube. On Instagram and on TikTok. His handle is Adam Ruzzo. I believe it's R-U-Z-Z-O, um Adam Ruzzo Music on TikTok and YouTube. And then also check him out on TikTok. And he he uh, his handle there is Cabin Speak. Cabin Speak on TikTok. And TikTok is where he shared the most amount of uh information about his cabin so you can see videos of him at his cabin his off-grid home said that he built as well as, as his music stuff also check out another wild ontario legend named matt steve or steves i believe so matt steves has a youtube channel he's got a number of documentaries that he's done about amazing wild ontarians doing crazy stuff Here in Ontario, and one of his videos is about Adam Russo and his whole off-grid life. Um, So check out that documentary on Adam. Uh, I believe it's about a fifteen-minute documentary. That's how I discovered Adam Russo was through Matt Steve's his YouTube channel. Also follow Matt Steve's on Instagram. And uh, thank you so much for watching uh, this episode of the Wild Ontario Podcast. Please consider supporting us on patreon patreon.com slash wildontario we have exclusive uh bonus content there one of which is with uh my weekly um patreon show which is uh, wild Ontario Weekly Review. I review all the stuff going on over the past week in Ontario. That's for Patreon supporters only. Um, so you can just also support us for all the content that uh, I put out across TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, and this podcast. So that support is greatly appreciated. Patreon.com slash Wild Ontario. Stay wild, stay sexy, you beautiful Wild Ontarians, and uh, and see you next time. Thank you to Adam Rousseau.